This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. 2020, what a year has it been? It has shown the most dominant species on this earth that we are not invincible. There's someone quite powerful, crazy and unpredictable that we all need to watch out for. It has made the word virus the most familiar and dreaded word. Viruses are a type of parasite. I'm Anusha Beer, an invertebrate biologist, and I have always been fascinated by these minuscule, at times microscopic creatures that are capable of performing some of the craziest phenomena in the universe. Not only can some evolve quicker than medical science can keep up with, as in the case of the novel coronavirus, they are capable of a lot more. Some of these phenomena are nothing less than science fiction. In this series, I have picked some of the unbelievable wonders from the world of hosts and parasites to share with my listeners, focusing mainly on the parasitic insects, who I'm calling wild hitchhikers, join me as we enter a world of mind-boggling manipulation and trickery. From worms to whales, none are immune to deceit by their tiny residents, the dangerous wild hitchhikers. Stay tuned to find out more about these wild hitchhikers. Last week, we talked about root parasitism in birds. We looked at how a European cuckoo tricks a starling into sitting on its eggs by making its own eggs look like a starling's. Cuckoo's chicks also trick their foster mothers into providing for them by mimicking the call of a starling's chick. We also looked at chemical mimicry that tricks a large army of red ants into fostering a parasitic butterfly caterpillar. Although cuckoo and the butterfly caterpillars are both brood parasites, the caterpillar is technically called a social parasite, as it exploits the whole colony of its host rather than a single host individual, as in the cuckoo's case. Parasitism is not only seen in birds and butterflies, but in many other groups of animals, such as bees, wasps and beetles. There is a single confirmed species of fish brood parasite called the cuckoo catfish, and I bet you can easily guess who it gets its name from. The species that are exploited are little fish called cichlids. Some cool images of the host and the parasite are posted on my blog. 
Even though they're called cuckoo catfish, they do not use the most remarkable trick of mimicry that the cuckoos do. In fact, the eggs of this catfish are smaller and rounder than cichlids' eggs, and therefore morphologically distinct. Cichlids are mouth-breeding fish. That is, they provide a safe sanctuary for their eggs and their young by incubating them and raising them in their mother's mouth. Brilliant solution to the danger of predation. But the cuckoo catfish has learned to exploit the strategy. of catfish plunder the spawning ground of mouth-breeding cichlids, devour some of their eggs while replacing them with their own eggs. The cichlid mother picks up the catfish's eggs with her own and keeps them safe in her mouth. Cichlids' eggs hatch within a week but the young remain primarily in their mother's mouth for a couple more weeks until they deplete their yolk sac. Catfish's eggs hatch before the cichlids' eggs, and within a week they deplete the yolk sac. You could think that at this point they start leaving their surrogate mother to fend for themselves. But remember, this is parasitism we are talking about, and the story is about to get grim. The catfish young now begin to devour the cichlids' eggs, resulting in a clutch dominated by catfish's young. Sometimes a few cichlid eggs survive predation by the catfish larvae. At other times, none do. The mother lets her young out to play, but soon as she senses danger, she swallows them back into her mouth for protection. The surrogate mother cares for and protects her foster children like her own. Although this story is just as sinister, catfish do not manipulate or trick their hosts like the cuckoos or the butterfly caterpillars do. 
the cichlid may accidentally pick up the catfish's eggs, but recognition of foster eggs is high in cichlids, and they often expel the parasitic eggs out of their mouth. What a relief! Once expelled, the catfish's eggs are perfectly capable of surviving in the external environment and sometimes find shelter in the mouth of another cichlid mother. However, entering the mouth of a cichlid mother is believed to be a learned behaviour from spending the early days of their lives in this way. Again, they do not seek another foster mother or trick her into swallowing them. There are many reasons for why trickery and manipulation is not used by the cuckoo catfish. One plausible explanation is that the survival of the catfish is not dependent on the cichlid host. They can survive and fend for themselves in the open environment, whereas in case of the cuckoo bird, temperature is a vital factor in egg incubation, so the cuckoo cannot risk getting her eggs rejected by the starling or they will not hatch. The cuckoo catfish are found in Lake Tanganyika in Africa. This lake has the most diverse fish population of any lake in the world and is home to hundreds of different types of species of cichlids, some unique only to this lake. There are many reasons why so many unique cichlid species have risen in this lake including a high predation rate and geographical isolation. next example, you may only have to look as far as your garden to find the evidence of brood parasitism. This strategy is adopted by spider wasps from the family Pompilidae. Some species are found in New Zealand. These wasps hunt and prey on spiders. Not only this, they enslave their prey to escape the most difficult task on this earth. You guessed it, raising young ones. Female spider wasps lay their eggs inside the abdomen of an unfortunate spider. When the egg is hatched and the larva emerges, it injects venom into the spider, turning it into a zombie. This zombie constructs a state-of-the-art web for the larva. 
Once the web is ready, the larva devours this master architect, thereby driving food and shelter from this victim. So next time you see a spider in the garden, remember that even these horrifying creatures can become a hypnotized slave of something more sinister in your own backyard. Now, just when you were thinking that spider wasps are cunning, let me tell you that even these master tricksters can be tricked by other spider wasps of their own family, their own whanau, who become brood parasites. Either of the two kinds of brood parasitic strategies are known from the wasp family. First, the egg-bearing female spider wasp chases another wasp while it's transporting its catch, a spider, to its nest. It either sneakily or aggressively, that is, after winning a fight with the other wasp, deposits its eggs in the spider. Now, like with many brood parasites, the spider's eggs hatch before the host's eggs. The parasite's larvae quickly gobble up the host's own eggs before devouring the spider itself. In the second type, the mother does half the dirty work for her offsprings. By raiding a spider, that is already parasitized and injecting with a wasp's eggs. She then destroys the already laid eggs herself and lays her own eggs instead. Sometimes, the brood parasites exploit hosts 
from specific species or family. Others are more generalists. A great example is a cowbird from South America that's known to exploit over 176 different species of hosts, a highly generalist parasite. Some hosts have a high egg rejection rate, others very low, such as the wren. There are many more examples in the natural world of brood parasitism involving similar tactics with some variations. But I think by now we have a good idea of what brood parasitism is. What you may not know is that brood parasitism is a real danger to some host species and it is believed that parasitic cowbirds have completely wiped out some of their host species, whereas we never hear about any cuckoo or another brood parasite species in any danger. Clearly, hosts of brood parasites have greatly compromised fitness, jeopardizing the survival of the entire species. Why birds resort to brood parasitism is simple. Parenting is expensive. Animals pay a huge cost of parenting. While sitting on their nests or spending more time hunting for food for a hungry chick, parents are more exposed to natural predators. In the long term, more time and investment in parental care means that they are laying fewer eggs of their own. So, brood parasites come up with strategies to avoid these costs by providing no parental care whatsoever. Parental care means building nests, incubating eggs, defending their offspring and feeding them. In fact, scientists have found that about 1% of the over 10,000 known species of birds have resorted to this strategy. It's amazing where some remarkable parenting strategies exist in some birds like penguins that risk freezing, predation and fatigue to provide for their young. The likes of cuckoos do nothing at all. In penguins, both parents undergo changes in their hormone levels responsible for increasing parental care while breeding. One would wonder, what hormonal changes in parents cause them to become brood parasites? Scientists have found that series of evolutionary changes have given rise to brood parasitism in different species of birds. It is believed that compared to non-parasitic birds, brood parasite females never grow up or when can say they are more childlike. They have more juvenile-like gene expressions in their brains. Genes that make an animal maternal are also expressed differently in parasitic birds compared to non-parasitic birds.
with brood parasitism, I believe I have provided a glimpse into the manipulation that goes on in the natural world, some under our noses. But this is just the start. Many more unbelievable stories to follow throughout this podcast. In the next episode, we'll look at another devious strategy used by parasites to exploit their hosts. Imagine a puppeteer that turns a living species into puppets. These puppeteers are the heroes, or shall I say, the villains of the next few episodes in the series. You've been listening to Wild Hitchhikers. You'll find podcasts of this series online at oar.org.nz. And if you would like to find out more about today's show or get in touch, check out the Wild Hitchhikers blogspot page at thegaiasgirl.blogspot.com. I hope to catch you next week with more weird and wonderful Wild Hitchhikers. Adios. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.